welcome one and all to another podcast. I am your host, Razel Schusterman, and today we have a very special guest who I will be interviewing. Her name is Mrs. Sarah Morozov, and she is a well-known Kala teacher that has taught generations of wives-to-be and currently teaches Kalas and trains new Kala teachers under mikvah.org. She's also a proud mother and a grandmother of a beautiful family, Kanainahara, and she's an advisor to Beis Rifka High School and Seminary. She's also a mashpia, a mentor to many women, and she really has a real understanding of the struggles and challenges that our people are dealing with today. She's a community leader in her own right, and she has dedicated much time and energy and effort to our Chabad community in Kron Heights and around the world. Razel, I have to make a correction. When I okay. said when we were discussing the blurb, mm-hmm. the first thing was that I'm a mother and a grandmother. Everything ah. else is secondary, and I think that's a very important uh, correction. I love that. I'm actually going to keep this in because I think it's important for people to hear that that message. This is so true. First and foremost, we are mothers, and our family are is a big part of who we are and our identity. And then comes the other part. I, I appreciate you explaining that. So let me get right into it. Mrs. Marazov, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today. And I want to be fully candid with my followers and listeners about how this podcast discussion came to be. As a result of a number of my previous podcasts, there seems to be some kind of impression, or I should say false impression, in my opinion, that somehow I... I'm against large families or the people that I've interviewed are against large families and that I'm kind of scaring the younger parents from having large families as a result of this podcast. And you reached out to discuss this with me and we had a great conversation. And I suggested that we have a discussion that others can listen in on to flesh out all these ideas. And I've gotten to know you and I have an immense amount of respect for you And I want to make a disclaimer that I hope to push you respectfully to press you on some of the topics that come up today for my own clarity and for the benefit of my listeners. So with that lengthy opening, let's jump right into this conversation. Okay. So first of all, we need to be real. Times have changed. And in order for this to be a discussion that's authentic, we have to recognize that 2021 is not 1960 or the 80s or 90s. And when the Rebbe was with us physically and spoke to us and encouraged us, it was a lot easier to have the courage to follow the Rebbe's teachings. Furthermore, you know, to be a chassidzhi yid in those times, in, in my opinion, the way I see it was a little bit easier. Society was kinder. The internet wasn't destroying people. Mental health was not as a serious of a challenge as it is today or at least we didn't know it. And on the most basic level, you could ask the Rebbe questions, personal questions like, what house should I buy? As my parents said, should I buy this one or that one? And there was even not as many sikhas and mamaram that you needed to know and master to be somebody who had knowledge on our Rebbe's sikhas and chassidus. And for me, I think that a lot has changed. So my question is, in your opinion, is there any truth to what I just said? What has changed in your opinion since you were growing up? How can people recognize what has changed and at the same time stay true to their Hasidic values? 
I know I'm asking a lot of questions in one, but I want you to address all these at the same time. In addition to that, ha have college teachers adjusted how they teach now than when they did 20 years ago, 40 years ago? Or is it the same as, as it was when I was a Kala 21 years ago? You know, seeing things through the lenses of the mental health challenges that we're all facing right now, in my opinion, affects the way the next generations of mothers should be taught, should be prepared. And I know this is a lot of questions, but I'm just curious to see how and what has changed for you personally as well. Um, so this is a lot of questions and you may have to bring me back to focus to answer specific questions because there's a lot, there's many different angles. Yeah. So first of all, we have to put the foundation that Tyra is Nitzchias. Tyra is the same. Tyra is forever. Maisha MS, but Tyrosi MS, MS never changes. So the Tyra teachings apply equally from the moment of Matan Tyra until Mashiach comes. The challenge is that every generation Hashem put different obstacles. Hashem has different choices, what obstacles to put inside. It's his chashban, it's not ours. And every generation have one or multiple obstacles in the way of fulfilling certain mitzvahs. But it doesn't mean that chashashalom, a mitzvah is canceled out. If you think of the Eden that came to America, right? Shabbos was a terrible Messiah. They possibly they knew that if they wouldn't show up Shabbos at work, yeah. they wouldn't have a job on Monday and they literally wouldn't have money to feed their kids. And it was a terrible, terrible Nisayim for people to keep Shabbos. With great mysterious nefesh, they were even that were able to keep Shabbos. But it doesn't mean that we cancel Shabbos because the children won't have food on the table. So there are Nisayimists in every generation. So we have to recognize that the Nisayimists of every generation will be different. However, when we look at the Rebbe Sichas for our generation, which is Dar Hashvi until Mashiach comes, the reason that there are more and more sikhas in the later years, there was many short snippets sikhas from Tavshim and Ches to Tavshim and Beis versus maybe the larger Fabrengan's gatherings that were fewer and far, farther in between in the earlier years is because we need more chizuk, we need more perspective, and we need a constant like IV, drip, 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 to realign our values to, to Torah truth and to the Abishur because there are so many distractions all around. So now we have many more distractions. I agree. The internet is a tremendous distraction on many levels. I, 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 I personally, when I used to walk from Carol and Schenectady to Bay Surfco and Crown and Ostrand, there was no phone. It was like you could be in touch with your feelings. You could be in touch with your brain. Then this phone was invented. And I saw the change that took place just in me personally, you know? Then I had to consciously shut my phone if I want to have that brain space. So even in little, little ways, um, there's negativity. Uh, on the other hand, all these new inventions, Hashem put to also make our lives easier. We could uh, visit with our friends and family online. We could uh, share shiurim so much more easier. Like every new invention, there's a plus and a minus. So the challenge is, uh, we, yeah, of course, the internet has a lot of negativity. It's our choice how to use them. But going back to the original question, the Rebbe's words are true forever and ever. And not only that, if you review, especially the Sikhs in the later years, the Rebbe invested and gave so much um, in, um, truth and perspective that would carry us through up until today if we just learn them properly. We just have to learn them. We have videos, we have them in writing, we have them in short and long in different languages. 
there's so many ways that they're accessible. So yes, we have more of them because we need, we need more, uh, we need more reinforcements. And that's why they're here today. The question is how to decipher them and how to make it um, user-friendly for us. So that's about the question about, did something change? Of course, when the Rebbe spoke and Herbal was here, Bagashmis, it was so much easier to feel the emiskites and the Simchas Achayim and, and the um, reality of the Asia's existence, of course. But Hashem had a different plan and now we could do it. Hashem decided that we're going to connect to the Asia in a different way. The material is there, the equipment is there. We just have to reach out and grab it and make it available to us. I see myself, the difference it makes when I learn the Sikhs in the original, how our neshama comes through. We just have to learn, we have to study and they are available for study. And we see how we can relate to them. The Rebbe is very, uh, the, the messages are true for today. I would say even more than ever. Yeah. I just want to also say the, the question, um, I think we have to differentiate. You said like the podcast, I, I got those feedback that the podcast can give an impression about smaller families. When you sent me the podcast to listen to, or someone sent it to me, I think we have to separate the issues. There's a mitzvah of having children, but then there's a whole separate story, which is to be a mother, to do the mothering and the nurturing. And I think we have to put a lot of emphasis, and maybe we haven't done enough, about the power and the role that we have as women to push it, nurture, to nurture our children and nurture the people in our environment. And th that was such a strong emphasis in the Rebbe Sichas and in Nonauf and on Beis, like the feminine role. There was a Sikha, how the Rebbe just explained, even in connection with the Mr. Provo, but how male, the male energy is domineering and more of a dictatorship. And the female energy, which is more like Memshala, and the female energy is malchus, which is malchus It's by choice, with goodwill. And how the feminine energy is what me, the world needs nowadays. And that exactly, if anybody who has any people in their environment with mental health challenges, and I could tell you a lot about that, you know, just the people I'm close to, family, friends, etc. It's the feminine energy that works, right? So we, the Rambasir has definitely addressed for real the energy that women have and the power and role that women have in nurturing the emotional health of the people nowadays. It's right there in the Rebbe Sichas. We just have to see it and learn it. Um, you talked, um, again, you have to backtrack. I don't remember all the questions. Of okay, I'll, I'll, I'll interject. Uh, and interject I'll and tell me what I'm missing. Okay, so the one question that I wanted to really get to is, is I, I, I agree with you. Much has changed, but the message is eternal, our Torah is eternal, and the beautiful thing about the Rebbe's Sichas Mamaram and the teaching is that it's very timely, even, even today. You can open up an igris and you're like, it feels like the Rebbe's talking to you. Um, that said, I do think that times have changed. You know, times have changed always. We've always changed with the times. I don't say we've become more modern, but we've changed. And my question is, is in what way do you think that you've changed as a not in your personal, I don't, you know, your personal life. I'm saying as a college teacher, as somebody who's, you know, um, teaching a bias Yehudi class in Beis Rivka or in, in seminary. All of this, what has, what has changed in you in the way that you are addressing all of this, um, these different, you know, issues that are arising? 
Okay, that's a great question. So first of all, I do have to say that I have changed tremendously. I have children that are um, range like I think 25 years apart and my youngest is just 11. And the way I raised my children years ago was definitely would never work today. It does not work today. I had to change over and over again to align to the, to the type of world that we live in, the reality of emotional and mental health. Uh, a lot more connection is needed more than ever. Focus, connection, communication, being in touch with the feelings, sorting things out, working things through. And not like mommy says, and that's what goes, but let's figure this out, you know? So in me, there's a tremendous transformation. I had to learn a lot. I had to discuss with professionals and definitely I made some mistakes along the way and probably some major mistakes, but not, not uh, purposely. Hashem made me blind for a certain amount of time till I picked up on my, that I need to do something different, obviously. But that was Hashem's plan. Hashem had a plan that perhaps many of us mothers, uh, we weren't negligent. We weren't evil. We weren't malicious. We just didn't know. And only after we saw the effects, the side effects of such type of, of, of mothering, we realized, hey, you know, something needs to change. And I think the beauty of the Rebbe's Sichas is how the, the Rebbe reminds us again and again about the, how the Abishter is in control, the Abishter is in charge, the Abishter is right here, the Abishter is making it happen. There's a reason for everything that we don't know. Uh, we're part of the Abishter's plan. And I think that's very liberating and very comforting that we're not in control. We need to do due diligence. We have to get the right information. We have to get the right guidance. We have to figure things out. But ultimately, Hashem has a plan and there's no way we're going to understand it. And we're just going to work with it and do the best we can with the right support and the right davening and the right attitude and the right, um, the right how, you, how you call it, priorities. So that's me personally that's a as a piece. mother. Yeah, very, I'm personally, I mean, and the challenges don't just disappear when you think that one challenge like you mastered and Hashem says, okay, I still want to let you know that I'm in control. I'm going to send you another curveball just that you learn something different and see another youth with different eyes. And you have to put on different types of glasses that you're not, not used to wearing before. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a work in progress. I'm not a finished product. So yeah, none of us are. You say I changed. I'm in the process. I'm in the ever-growing process of changing in my personal life. Okay, that's about myself personally. About a college teacher, the reason why I'm so passionate about te teaching college and doing biology classes for much younger and younger is because, like the Rebbe's message is, there even in the 1980s and even earlier than that, the Rebbe's message was very clear that we live in a world of exposure, and because we're exposed to so much secular influences, all the more so it's important that we have discussions of what is the role of a mother, what is the role of a wife, what's the role of Taras Mishpacha, what's the role of, you know, Ketushas and Taras Ani Yisrael. Uh, and um, it's not enough. Whatever we're doing, it's the drop in the bucket. And that's why college, teacher, college teaching has evolved very differently. I don't know who was your college teacher way back then, but when I went college classes, it was basically Kisidinitara, and these are the halachas, and whatever and and was fine perhaps for many of us I'm not sure I could say for all of us but when I saw in reality what was going on I realized we have to do something really really different and I think it was very much appreciated when we put in the beauty and the meaning and the passion and many more details not just on the mystical level but on the medical level 
on a practical level. Uh, there's so much more. Yeah. My, my dream is to have post-Hosman classes. Oh, I think that's such a great idea. That's so definitely needed because I remember calling my college teacher after with questions. No, no we have an official post-class and class following call classes, but I think there should be relationship skills coaching by Trisha and Bias for every couple. Like this yes. in a world where if we have better tools, why not use them? Why do people have to kind of- Absolutely. The hard way? But anyways, yeah. So that's about how teaching is different. Now you want to talk about, yes, we do address, we do talk about birth control and we, we, um, absolutely. Um, I, I also want to say you made a comment about large families. I don't know if I like the word large families. How do we define large? I think that's ridiculous. I don't think Tara has a definition. What means large? One, right. two, five, 12, 100. Is that, you know, like, I don't think large is, I don't think that's the focus. I just, the focus, the Rebbe's focus is very clearly that every child is a gem. Every child is in the Shama. Every child that's brought down into this earth and has opportunities to do a mitzvah, we're not counting the numbers of mitzvahs or the amount of mitzvahs, is a bracha to the family, a bracha to Klal Yisrael, and brings Mashiach closer. And if it's hard work, but if we know we're working hard on something beautiful that even could be overwhelming, we will try to find a way if we can make it work. So for example, if all of a sudden you're the first time in your life, Baruch Hashem, your child is engaged, you're gonna get married, and all of a sudden you're so overwhelmed, how am I gonna make a wedding? Where do I start from? It's overwhelming, but it's a bracha. It's such a beautiful bracha that you'll take a deep breath and you'll pull your resources together to try to figure out how to manage this beautiful bracha. If you won $3 million, like, I don't know anything about money, like how do I invest it, where I start from, it sounds so overwhelming. So the same thing here, I think the Rebbe's message is let's view a child as a bracha and as a blessing, not as a burden. And if we can- So you're saying, so what I'm hearing you say is a, it's a reframe because, you know, and I'm curious and I'm wondering if perhaps that's part of the message that needs to be relayed too, is that, because growing up, I heard many, many times about the brachas. I grew up in the eighties. I listened to the, I went to these, these Fabrangans, even though I was a young child, I heard about it and it was taught to us, the beauty of, a, of a, having um, lots of kinoach, each one is a bracha and how much they bring to the world. And at the same time, we weren't taught how challenging, how difficult. And I remember calling my college teacher and actually saying, why didn't you tell me A, B, or C? Why didn't you say that this would be hard? And the answer that I was actually given was that could be your case, but that's not everyone's case. We don't want to scare everybody off. And I remember thinking to myself, that's, that just doesn't make sense to me. Like, I would rather know that you can have children that are going to be colicky. You can have children that are going to, that are going to give you a difficult time that are not going to listen, that kids that are going to have tantrums. And there's, you, you can end up with um, a spouse that struggles with mental health challenges. You could have, all of this can be a possibility. And then if it doesn't happen, ah, wow, I'm blessed and even more lucky. I don't know that that would scare me off, but okay. maybe that's my approach and that's how I see it. So okay. I, I'm curious if- Okay, you know, so let's, let's backtrack. I think the previous generation, the default setting is what it says in Adam Amo Yugod. Everybody was a hard worker. They suffered. They came from death and destruction and pogroms and famines and war. So in their world, like uh, what, like hard work, I mean, why do we have to talk about it? It's got right. it's life. There's nothing to talk about. I remember my, my, my grandmother, Mrs. Rebson, all time, the last showing. We were once the Bachram, we were ta- they were talking about his kashras. 
and she had a fit. I don't know if you know her in those days. She was very vocal about it. She goes, why are you talking about his kashras? My father, Abishol Jacobson, he was such an ardent, staunch chassid of the Friedrich Rebbe. We never heard the word of kashras. Just he lived, his whole life was the Rebbe. Why do you have to even talk about it? I, you, know, you talk how you breathe? That's life. So we countered that the next generation has to talk about it. The Rebbe started talking about it, which means we have to discuss it. Yeah. So I think the same thing here, those generations, I, I wouldn't say they didn't talk about it because they wanted to shelter us and like throw, you know, we'll throw you into the deep end and you learn how to swim. I think just culturally, there was a time where everybody just worked hard and struggled. And so, hard, so, so pain and hard work was built in, was part of the fabric. Today's generation, you know, Correct. you want to call them snowflakes or millennials, whatever you want to Correct. call them. Yep. This is not part of their, their, their world. Growing up Which in a world is, where parents are sending them packages each week and, and ha um, homemade packages and food on Friday afternoons and, and Amazon packages, everything they, anything <laughs> that you possibly can imagine. And this camp and that camp. And at the same time, mm -hmm. they're dealing with more pain than any of us did in growing up because uh, they're dealing with rejections from, from yeshivas and from, from camps right. and at an earlier right. age. And in some ways that they are dealing with different, with a different kind of pain. Absolutely. Totally different pain. I could be the first one to tell you when you were saying, um, nobody told me it's going to be hard. The babies will be colicky, that they're going to have a tantrum. I was going to say, Razel, I'd love the tantrums and I'd love the colic. Right. You don't, know what, you don't know what means pain. Yes. I, what I'm dealing with today, like I, I'll take back any colic. Yes, uh, I agree. I have, to, I have like, to personally agree with you on that as well. <laughs> you know, as we grow older, we, we, yeah. And I try not to say that to my younger siblings when they complain about their sleepless nights. I'm like, it's right. Yes, this is easy. That's not... Let's but, not judge. But, but let's not judge. But also, there's right. no hierarchy to pain. This right. is an actual idea in right. psychology too that everyone can be their right. each person's pain is real to them, and at the time that they're dealing with it. And so that's really what what I was trying to get to before was is that I'm I'm curious is is this Good. something that is part of what we are teaching Equation. our next generation of parents, of mothers and Bahram and fathers, that this is something that you need to be prepared for. Like this, these are things that could happen, or is it simply let's not go there. So I don't think it has to be taught. I think every human being on earth has a sister, a neighbor, a mother, a father, a cousin that is currently in deep pain of some emotional or mental issue. I don't know anybody who's exempt from that. Yeah. I think it's in the air. Um, I teach a base There's a lot about mental health. There's a lot about emotional health. People Hashem, are open about it and people are getting help and tools and Hashem, better tools are available, right? Right. But I want to put it in the context of having children. So I wanted to say a very important point that when Hashem gave us the mitzvah to have children, right? Daira it says you have a son and daughter. Jarabanan, there's no quota, there's no limit. As long as you can, you have to continue having children, barring any health issues. And it's important to know that there are two mitzvahs. One mitzvah is Purvu, and there's another mitzvah called Vinishmar Tamoid You have to take care of your health. They're both mitzvahs. They're both the will of Hashem. And whenever there is a conflict, what does Tyra say? Sometimes I am very subjective, right? I don't know which mitzvah I need to do right now. But if you have any reason to think that getting pregnant right now will interfere with your health, your husband's health, or an existing child's health, be it physical health or emotional health, halacha mandates that you bring up this issue to have a psak. Which mitzvah is my obligation to the Abishter right now? Is my mitzvah to stop and take care of my health or my husband's health or my child's health? Or is the mitzvah to keep having children right now? And no one should ever hesitate. And, and that's why there are no rules that over the age 40, you're more likely to have maybe 
physically challenged children, so limit the family then. Um, if you have three children under the age of three or six children under the age of six, or you have six children or 12 children, there's no equation. Or if you have two challenged children, then it's time to, there's no halacha, that, there's no formula. Why? Because we have to recognize that every situation is very individual. Every mother has an individual makeup. Some people are stronger. Some people are weaker physically and emotionally. Some people have different tools. Fathers, are, husbands are different. What does it mean a, 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 a challenged child? You know, when it comes to physical challenges, they're so evident, you know, there's this organization and that organization, you know, there's emotional autism, there's spiritual autism. Let's face reality. There's so many more challenges nowadays than ever before. So it's halacha, the same halacha that says kruvu is the same halacha that says, maybe you need to take a space and, and live a healthy, like you have to do it in good health. And when the Rebbe said to have children, it, it, it wasn't have children endlessly, even if you're not healthy, at that time, there were people on birth control and they wanted to go off birth control because they heard the Rebbe Sichas. And the Rebbe said, absolutely not, go back to your Rav. If that Rav passed in the afternoon, that's tired for you. So I think people were also like running away with Rebbe Sichas as if, you know, like there's no, there's no, uh, uh, no choice or, or no choice of birth control. Right. I also want to add that a few more things, you know. But let me interject for one second, because mm -hmm. you said something very important. You know, we have to take care of our health. The problem is, and this is what I spoke about with Shimon Russell on the podcast, and which he added an addendum to, is that many times people wait until that it hits like a, I don't want to say rock bottom, but a right, difficult situation. Right. And, you know, with mental health, it's, it's a very right. interesting thing they talk about is let's say for anxiety or depression, it can build, build, build kind of like a balloon and then it pops and then it's very difficult to come back from it. Um, then you need to have more medication. Then you need to have more therapy. But if we are to, if not wait until it escalates, we're able to address the issue and really be able to deal with it better. And, mm -hmm. and that comes from the environment that we taught, like the whole stigma being removed, discussing it, having an awareness of it. And then I'm saying alongside teaching of the brachas and the beauty of this, I wonder if we're teaching alongside that, that there's also the chance that this can be difficult and hard and challenging. And one shouldn't wait until the balloon is popping, but one should have uh, their own pulse. They should be taking their pulse and saying, where am I? How am I feeling today? How am I managing? How am I doing? And the question is, you know, I want to, I want to bring this up too, is that there's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of shame. Okay. There's a lot of shame that comes with it. You, if I, I grew up hearing the Rebbe talk about so passionately about, about having a large family and I should choose to not because okay. I'm struggling and, and maybe my struggle is just my own weakness. You know, this okay. is a weakness. Okay. If I really believe in Hashem, I wouldn't struggle. I would have less anxiety, less okay. depression. Okay. okay. So let's stop and take a deep breath. Um, it's interesting um, I want to add two points. There are more than one sicha that um, the Rebbe talks about that a woman has to, is, she should tune in, vas zokt ir neshama. Let's take away the outer layers. There's no ego. Okay, it's not about me. I want a family. I want this perfect family. Look, my mother, Baruch Hashem, or my grandmother, or my aunt, or my uncle, they have these, how many children, and they're all married, and they're all are from and they're settled and they're happy and da 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 da. I'm aiming for this, like, per, you know, whatever it is that you're aiming for. It, 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 that's not the point. That's all about me, 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 what I'm aiming for, what I feel I'm entitled to, what I feel I'm, deser I'm deserving. It's not about me. It's what does the Abraster want for me? 
Now, because we're human beings, we're very subjective. It's hard for us to see the real thing. And that's why it's so important. Like the Rebbe said so many times in Tashem Zayim, Tashem Ches, in this area, it's, it's a mandate of Pirkei Oves. It's not even, uh, it's not even, uh, the idea to reach out to a Rav or a Mashpia is a Torah thing. And for sure, the Rebbe called it a Kashanavshis. The Rebbe said, the Rebbe, you know, prepared us for when he won't be able to answer us personally, personal questions. And the Rebbe said, these type of questions, what is the advantage of having a mashpia? You don't call mashpia in crisis mode. You know, when she, the, the basic mashpia is something to be in touch with for your avayis Hashem, and Purvu is part of avayis Hashem, right? So A, she's objective, okay? B, maybe somebody older and wiser could look at the bigger equation. What's now necessary to take a breather? Or maybe we can add something to make life easier for you. Maybe you need more household help. You know, my mother was one of the people that the Rebbe um, encouraged and much more encouraged her that uh, in order to take care of children's emotional welfare, um, she should have household help to take care of the physical part, uh, the physical uh, um, home, how do I say, taking care of the home. My grandmother also had an uh, answer for the Rebbe about that. And recently, I actually interviewed Rabbi Shmulbu and his wife because um, very, very interesting. He came to the Rebbe for Yutzbat Hagado, which was Toshim Lamed when the Mashiach Sevitar was completed and Mashiach was in the air and everybody was like, so wow, Mashiach is coming any minute. And there was a Fabringen on Shabbos and there was another Fabringen Matzah Shabbos where the Rebbe actually talked about birth control. The Rebbe used the word birth control. The Rebbe said, not like those that arguing that we need birth control, you know, it was the era of the zero population, you know, all that stuff. The Rebbe said, in order to bring Mashiach, the Mishamas have to come down in this world um, to complete their mission on earth. And he said he was feeling like so on high and so Mashiachic. And when, when, when he went to Yechidus the next night, Sunday night, two o'clock in the morning, so he had left his wife home. And she, they had five children and the oldest wasn't six yet. And right away, the Rebbe asked him, and he was feeling so mashiachtik and, and so ruchnius. And what's the first question that I've asked him? How's your wife doing? Does she have enough household help? And he, he, he answered, he was so stunned, like he was brought down to reality. And then the Rebbe encouraged her, asked how, many, how, much, how much times a week. And then the Rebbe asked him, why not more often? And he said, what, is it due to finances or you can't find somebody? And he was so stunned because even the wealthy people in England hardly had household help. And he had even more, he had three times a week. And actually the Rebbe told him to increase. So what I'm trying to say is if you feel like it's a million dollars and to be overwhelmed, this one needs household help. Maybe that one needs better therapy skills or parenting skills or home organization skills, et cetera, et cetera. I also want to tell you that we are, so that what I'm trying to say is the mashpia could help maybe insight, like, do you just need a breather? Let's take a breather. Let's take a break. Or maybe there's some other mechanism we could put into place that could allow for another child to be born. Let's see what's really going on here. It's so far from a one size fits all. Everybody has a unique circumstance and situation. Also, we have a very limited view. We only see the here and now. I just want to tell you as a sibling, and I'm sure if I hope, and if my mother hears this, I hope she'll laugh and smile or any of my siblings. But you know, now, then, what does it mean a family? I, I'm sure you would come into my mother's house and it wouldn't be called functional, maybe dysfunctional. It was a lot of emotions going on. It was a lot of stuff happening. It was a busy place, you know? 
So there was a couple years of hard busyness. But Baruch Hashem afterwards, what could be the greater gift than siblings? And I'll, I'll tell you personally, when there's an emotionally challenged person, siblings have such an important part. I don't know if you can relate to this. Every yeah. simcha, they'll come to the bar mitzvah. They'll come to the bris. They're going to come to the wedding because they feel so close. And there's an innate connection for siblings. So maybe the solution for a sibling is to create another sibling. Maybe it's hard. Maybe it's difficult. But maybe this sibling will be the biggest bracha for the emotionally challenged person because the amount of love and warmth that's multiplied between siblings, especially when they grow up, you know, as we age, parents are like on top, you know, they're like, they're like, the, how do you call it? I know you say this word in English, you know, like the heads of the family. How do you yeah. call that? Patriarchs, SC, matriarchs, patriarchs or whatever. But siblings, we're all in a partnership. Yeah. And we're all supportive of each other. So we only know the here and now. It's so easy to say, why should I create another sibling? Um, I don't know. We really don't know. But maybe we look at the other side of the equation. Maybe the sibling actually will be the biggest bracha because I could tell you firsthand, siblings have such an important part in love. They're non-judgmental. They know how to accept yeah, yeah. and love and connection and it's unbelievable and endless. And that's could be a solution, not part of the problem. Now, I'm not saying it's the same for everyone. This is Chas Shalom, and I want everyone to think, you know, go have another sibling, that's gonna be a solution. But it's, I'm saying it's, it's so Sometimes that it's, 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 a very, it's a very personal thing that each of us have right. to take. So let me take this a little deeper. You know, I feel like we're all conditioned to believe that for some reason, and I don't, I don't know why or how, that our children that we're going to have are going to look and act and dress the same way that we do. And, and it's going to be like as if they're, you know, a cake. You follow the recipe, everything's going to turn out perfect. And what I'm curious about is, shouldn't we be even somewhat open to this idea and, and told this idea and taught this idea that there will be children that we're going to have that are going to choose a different path than we do and are going to look different than us and have different some values in us, even as painful as that may sound. Because what's currently happening is that when our child chooses a different path, we end up feeling like failures. We start to question our own parenting styles, our own values. So how can it be that that, that there's mothers that are crying that, that, that their son chooses to leave the system and they're going to the Israeli army and, and, and yet they're, they're, they're Shamer Shabbos and they have a beard and they have tzitzis and they, or, or when a child chooses to go to college or pursue a career. Why isn't that we are understanding? And, and I feel like the Rebbe modeled this for us that every yid was loved, unconditional love was such a thing that the Rebbe taught us. And yet we're still dealing with this idea that we were struggling with the idea of being proud of our children and really like unconditional pride, not only unconditional love, but proud of who they are and what they're doing. And I'm wondering, can it be that perhaps it's some of, a, some of what we interpret as our own Hasidic values might be actually something that's more about our own ego and our own self-worth? I agree with you 100%, but I think it comes from the culture. We live in two things, the culture of perfectionism. It's not just in Yiddishkeit and our children. Everybody has to dress a certain way. A Shabbos table has to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. Uh, every area, we have to have jobs that give us certain amounts of money, like perfectionism. Even in our looks, I mean, I think it has a lot to do with the media or the culture we live in, or even like, even marks in school. I mean, when I was in school, like the marks weren't so important. I had all kinds of people in my class and I don't know, people seem to be simple, simple and happy. I think um, the culture of perfectionism adds so much to the anxiety. It's such a huge stress. And I think kind of, we did it to ourselves. That's number one. It's secular also. Also, I personally think there was a special brocha that existed 
um, when the Rebbe was alive, maybe in Gashmias, different than any other generation. All we have to do is go one generation back. People, how many from families all the children stayed from? People came to America. How many people lost Yiddish guy? Communism, uh, Haskola, how do you call yeah. that? Haskola, Enlightenment movement. In the light Every generation, there was a magefa. Either there were physical pogroms or there were spiritual pogroms. And the idea that we're creating children, that everyone is going to survive physically, emotionally, and spiritually in a certain level of perfectionism is thousand percent unrealistic. Yes, there are, perhaps there's a rare exception that the Abisha puts a bracha on certain generations that statistically, yeah, most of them maybe came out a certain way. But that's the exception to the rule. All we have to look is a few generations back. I mean, even from, um, I don't want to name people, but uh, very great Hasidim and even great Rebbe's, not necessarily every one of their children set the mold. And, and that's, but that's what makes my question even stronger. No, so the question is, we're, it's a disservice. I think part of it is because we're putting a, such a high, we're putting our egos in as if we own our children. Yeah. And our children have to come out a certain way. I think that's what creates a problem in our child itself because already they feel judged and uncomfortable. Yeah. But if we deal with acceptance and allowing them to nurture them, to allow them to develop their own identity and sense of self in a nurturing, loving environment and the but culture of challenge. But that's what's so challenging because we, because let's say, let's say, and I'm not trying to, and I'm not railing against any of this because I think this is important. But when, you know, Twenty years ago, you didn't have to wear a white shirt only. That wasn't a description of a chassid. You were a chassid shabachar, even if you had a pink striped shirt or a little brim hat. Now there's so much focus on the chassidis, on the materialism. There's so much of who we are on the outside that I feel that those, that's what I'm speaking about. Those chassidic, those values that we, we've decided that are so important and that what's happening is, is that we're not focusing on the panemius and what's important also. It needs to go side by side. I'm not saying that we need to drop all of that other stuff, but if we put so much focus on, I hear it from my, from my children, I hear it from teens that I speak to, mm -hmm. that there's so much focus on what they're wearing and not who they are. Absolutely. And it needs to go in tandem. It needs to be together. So, Absolutely. And you're right. It's, it's when we our own ego in it and how it makes me look and how it makes right. me feel. Now, I just want to say there's some sikhs that I found very um, uh, I don't want to say liberating, especially when it comes to this. Like there's a sikha where the Rebbe talks about that Shmuel, Achana named her his her child Shmuel because she borrowed him from the Abishter. The Abishter loaned us this child. And the Rebbe said, what is difference in the halacha of, you know, there are four types of guardians, like there's a Shemar Sikhinam, Shemar Sachar, whatever it is they learn in Gemara or it's in the Pashas, Mishpatim. If we, a borrower has a din that if the owner is right there, Okay, the borrower is not liable for damages that were out of his control. So the, 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 the Rebbe was saying, the mother has to remember that Hashem loaned us this child, okay? Hashem is right there with us every single second. We cannot be negligent, but there are things that would be beyond our control and that's the Abishter's department. It's not ours. As soon as we share our child rearing with the Abishter himself, the equation changes completely. The, the anxiety that, and guilt that women have, mothers especially, am I doing enough? Should I do better? Maybe if I would have done better, the outcome will be different. There's no place for that. No mother that I know is abusive or negligent on purpose. We're all trying our best. Hashem created 
a situation where maybe we don't yet know what we're doing. And maybe in 10 years, we'll go back and say, I wish I'd known this 10 years later, or five years later, or three years later. We don't know. But Hashem created the situation. And we are going to do our best to learn. You're doing the podcast because you learned information and you're sharing with other people. And if I had known this information, I don't know how many years ago, maybe life would have been different. But Hashem chose, a, as long as we put the Abishta right there with us, out goes the guilt, out goes the shame. What we have instead is a acceptance. And still we do have a mitzvah. When we feel the pain, it motivates us a, maybe to try something different. And it also motivates us to connect to the Abishta in a deeper way and say, Abishta, look, why are you putting our children or ourselves in such pain and goals? I don't know if you were there by Lag Boimer, as Lag Boimer connection points, they played a beautiful sicha. I think it was Lag Boimer, I don't know if it's touched, I wasn't planning to mention this, but how basically, uh, it's the Abishta's pain. It's not my pain. Hashem created pain, hiddenness, darkness, but it's Hashem's pain too. And we, we share the pain with the Abishter. It's so liberating. It's not my fault. There's no shame. There's no right. guilt. That's very and powerful. then we dive in harder that Hashem should take us out of this uh, painful situation. So no, no question. Uh, also, I want to mention one more sikha. You know, there's only one edited sikha that we have to date about the talk of the Fu'aru. You know, there's many things the Rebbe said, but it wasn't, it wasn't recorded in writing and edited by the Rebbe. Right. So in, in Parshas Nayach, in Chelek Chofein, the third sicha, the second half, it talks about Nayach. Hashem gave Nayach a command, Hashem told Nayach after the Mabo, you know, Purvu. And Nayach took it as an option, not as a command. And Nayach said, why well, should I have children? My, 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 look what happened to the previous generation. My descendants, I mean, they're all wiped out. Why should I bother having another child? Like, what's the point? And the Rebbe says, Chizkiyohu, who could have been a Shiach, he also didn't want, he separated from his wife. He knew in the Vua, in Rechel Kaidish, that he would have a child like Menasha, big Russia. And he said, I'm not, I'm not having a child in Russia. And what does the Abishter answer? You don't mix into my business. I gave you a mitzvah to have children. It's not your business what my plans are. Later on, the Menasha's child was a big tzaddik and revitalized Yiddishkeit and Eretz so what I'm trying to say is someone to say, it's my fault to have a child that's not from, or it's my fault to have a child that has emotionally, spiritual, spiritual, physical, whatever, autism. We have to put the Abishter back in the picture. The Abishter has a plan. Yes, no, I, I couldn't agree with that more. And I feel that it's when you really can tap into that, it is so freeing and it's so helpful to be able to manage the, the struggle that you, that we're struggling with. Let me ask you a question. If what would you tell somebody who, because I feel that this is something that people struggle with, is once people have figured out that they, whatever they're struggling with, you know, postpartum depression, or be it a difficult, you know, a difficulty in their marriage or relationship, and they've chosen to go on to birth control. And I hear this from people that are, that are dealing with this, the guilt, the shame, they're, they're dealing with so much, you okay. know, embarrassing so, uh, about it. What, again, I know that, that I know that it's what, you know, we have to watch our bodies and all that. What would be something that can be comforting okay. to these people to hear it? Perhaps they're listening right now. What okay. would you say to somebody who is feeling these feelings at this moment? Um, again, it's not about me. It's about the Abishter. As long as life is about me, there'll be guilt and shame. But if we turn it around and say, my life is one of commitment to the Abishter. What is, how does my commitment to the Abishter express itself now? By taking care of the child that I have. It was Hashem's choice. He gave me this challenge. And my, the way I show my allegiance to the Abishter is, 
Abishter, I don't want to be on birth control, but I'm doing it just for you because that's my mitzvah for right now. You have to switch it around. Then there's it's no guilt and shame. It's a refrain. It's like, I wish I could have another child. I'll dive in for someone else, have another child instead of me. I wish I could bring another child on this earth. I wish I didn't have a child that was struggling. I wish I was in a better state of health that I could manage more, but Hashem created me with limitations. It's also, uh, I just want to add, there's so much talk here about accepting our children. Really, it starts with what? Tell me. Starting so, with ourselves, accepting and loving ourselves. It's correct. all begins with that. If we would accept ourselves and our limitations, we'd have an easier time with accepting our children. children absolutely. So it's about self-acceptance. Self Why are you judging yourself? You, I could have been, I should have been. Look, I could tell you, I personally had a vision. I was going to go on shlichus. 100%. Uh, I was in Topshin Mams, you know, getting married. Of course you go on shlichus. And for whatever reason, we tried and it didn't work. And I landed right here in Crown Heights. And that was the first time in my life that my, my world turned upside down. It was right after Gimel Thomas also. And I was like, hey, like I need to be on shlichus. I am supposed to be on shlichus. This is my vision. This is my dream. And then I have to work hard to come to realize, hey, is it about me or is it about Abishter? Now, I thought I mastered that skill, but obviously uh. I said it wasn't enough. And then over time, Hashem keeps sending me more reminders. It's not about, it's not, it's, again, I have to work very hard to, and I'm not saying it's easy. It's not like you work on it and it's over. You know, every year during Kinesa Shulchais, when I'm not invited, I mean, I, I come to teach something on Tarasana Shmacha, and then I leave. And I'm not part of this Shlichas, you know, it's my reminder, it's not about me, it's about the Abishter. So the idea of having less children than we dreamed, it's one type of loss. But there could be many other losses of dreams of, of a perfect family. You know, we expect every children to get married. Maybe not all of our children can get married for emotional reasons or physical reasons. Like we have our vision. Everyone, like, well, when um, we, we give a bracha to uh, the baby at the bris, and the, the, the Rebbe says it applies to the females also, the Torah Chupamas and Taiman. I don't know if you remember by your, did you, did you have a, a boy? The yeah, first sure. Month? Yeah. Did you even think when you said, and what happened if, if you had recently had a bris, you're crying buckets. Tyra, Abishter, please. Chupa, Abishter, please. Masim Taivim, Abishter, please. It's a special bracha. It's not a given. It's a bracha that we bet. We say it like, like, yeah, we say it like it's just going to happen. And yet yeah. we have this vision that it's just going to happen. It's just going to be easy and simple. And, Correct. And the Abishter throws us a different vision. And it's all about, again, and that's the beauty of the Rebbe Sikhas. Constantly reminding us, let's see, put the Abishter in the, let's put the Abishter back in the equation. And that is the most liberating, joyful feeling you could have. Yeah. You say, hey, Abishter, you're controlling this. Like you're making all this happen, right? I'll do the best I can not to stand in your way and do the best I can with the tools I have. Again, we upgrade our tools. I'm learning so much now, like, like never before. And I hope it'll be useful for my future style of parenting. And do I regret things I did in the past? Absolutely. What should I do? Again, put the Abishter back in the picture. I, I, I love that. It resonates with me deeply. And I'm wondering, and tell me, and I've mentioned this a few times, but I'm wondering if this is something that is taught and is spoken about. Uh, we have to speak a lot more about it. And I think uh, parents who Bar Hashem are understanding what's really going on um, need to be more vocal because it's a movement. Um, 
in the school systems, I think people at home already are speaking to, I think a lot of us already shifted. I don't know, and your podcast being much more awareness and people are tuning in. People are looking and they want, and they're tuning in. I remember, you know, Beisrifka High School, they have every year a health day or a few times a health day. I think they're the most forward thinking when it comes to mental health, it's like Givaldic. I remember Dr. Rosen was before COVID. I don't know if it was the year of COVID or the year before, he came to address um, the Bistrico High School students. I was happened to be there that day. I was teaching and I was in the show. And he was saying that every um, generation has their um, sickness or their disease or their plague. And he said in the previous generation was cancer, um, because there's hardly a cure. But now, Baruch Hashem, there's so many innovations. Like people aren't so scared. There's, oh, not everybody gets cured, unfortunately, but there's a he lot said, available, yeah. He said the plague of the generation is called disconnection, disconnect. And he, he, he it's, it's the truth. People are so running away like from themselves. They're getting distracted or addicted or- Disassociated and I, from their pain. Yeah. And connect to yourself, connect to your body, take care of your body, connect to your emotions, take care of your emotions. Connect to your neshama. Ayyid is not even being, Ayyid is a neshama. And I think this, that philosophy of education of having people go back to themselves instead of like, remember I started with the idea of dictatorship versus this is a type of education of you're part of the process. That's the feminine role that we're part of the process of figuring ourselves out, being in touch with ourselves and the, the best I could be with the tools I have, but we're not cookie cutter. Like you can't mark people on that the idea yeah. of reconnecting to ourselves. I think this type of movement in the educational system probably would help a lot. I assume that many parents are already on the bandwagon. Maybe I'm wrong yeah. anymore. And I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how we morph the two because being able to encourage people to be true to themselves and to know what their emotions are and connect with themselves. And also at the same time to keep our children looking a certain way and trying to keep them within our own value system that's where it becomes like a challenge. And I don't, I don't envy the nice guys. No, it's no, very it, hard. It, it, you know, you right. want to have rules and regulations right. and, or you want to have a certain sta standard or boundary in your home. And right. then you have a child that's not choosing that. And it's trying to find right. that balance. Correct. And, and that's not easy. That's not a it's simple. Not easy. It's not simple. And it's not the same for every house. And it's not the same for every situation when it comes right. to Jewish music. Yeah. Let's say we're on the level of only Jewish music. What does it mean? Jewish music doesn't mean in your own ears, do what you want in the public, you know, right. but again, I think when people respect each other and accept each other, it could be workable. Right. We can work out a solution, but when there's friction or again, this forcing or this dictatorship, not the willful engaging and connecting, then it becomes more complicated. Yeah. I don't think there's one right answer. I myself, I struggle with this every day. Am I closing my eyes? Am I opening my eyes? Should I point something out? But the bottom line is the relationship comes first nowadays. Yeah. There's no relationship. You lose everything. You yeah. build a relationship. You can have a discussion. You can open a question. You can open up a, you know. Conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, if we look at each other and we see nishamas, if we look at another person and we don't see how they're dressing or how, what their level of tzniyas is or what their level of from kite is, and we look at them and we see a soul. We see in a shama, we focus in on that. I felt that that was something growing up with the Rebbe that I saw. You saw that. You saw the Rebbe standing there and there was people online that looked different than you and were different, you know, all different types. And you saw the Rebbe, the Rebbe talked to them the same way he spoke to any one of us and cared about each of them. And if we were able to tap into that, I think that that's living with Gula. That's living with Mashiach. That's what we have to be. That's what we have to be doing right now. 
And I just want to add, absolutely, but also the Rebbe brought out the talents of every single one. Every one of those Mitzrayim, every team was gifted. Yeah. And their talents, you know, you didn't, you, the least students, uh, people in school were the ones that gave the Rebbe the biggest nachas by the, by yeah. the parade. There was yeah. something there for everyone. I think that's that's an addition. I, we shouldn't judge the successes by, uh, uh, by how do you say, one type of intelligence. Right. Um, there are so many facets where people will shine. And that yeah. has to be, uh, we have to make people feel good about where they can shine. Yeah, I think that would also, um, not just acceptance, acceptance is enough, everybody wants to feel special, they want to feel, oh, there's something special about me, I'm proud of myself. Yes, my five-year-old recently told me, I don't feel special, I just don't feel special, and I was like, oh, wow, look at her, she wants to feel special, everyone needs to feel that they play a part, they all are important, that they're needed, that's it, That, that that they're needed, and they are part of it, and that's how we and that's what we need to be doing with our families and our children. They need to feel needed. They need to feel. And the schools also. I remember. Um, yeah, absolutely. When I, I mean, school, when I was in high school, the Mifta Sefer came out, right? We were in Montreal. We were getting letters for Sefer Torah. And it was so nice that different girls had different jobs. Like it, it took to drive the car, to find sure. apartments to go, to make their certificates. And one week, it was a busy week. I think it was like Shruis and maybe a Friday and a Shabbos. We didn't report on Friday the amount to the Reb's office, the amount of, you know, Letters we got on Sefer and right away uh, we got a call. Like Rebbe puts right away said, "Hey, you know, uh, how many got it?" Like the Rebbe noticed. I wanted to know. Put the call on time. They wanted to know. We felt so special. They weren't just numbers or people. Like the Rebbe knew from the whole world that whoever didn't, you know, they didn't check in that particular yeah. week, which was amazing. But there's yeah, so absolutely. many ways we could do that nowadays, as parents and as and again, I, I I'm not perfect in this. I'm learning on the job. I I, I hear that. I don't want anyone to think I'm just like pulpit rabbi. Like I'm, I'm, ju- I'm, I'm, I'm part of the process. I'm not, I'm not. The Aren't we all? Aren't we all? I, I'm gonna, you know, and take. I, I appreciate your time here. I want to bring this to an end here, and I just want to summarize and say. So what I'm taking away from our conversation is the idea that we should all have a mashpia or a rav that we can go to, somebody that we can talk to, and somebody that we can bounce off, and not wait until things go out of hand. Friends, also family people that, that accept us and are not going to judge us. And um, I also think that the, another piece that I got from this conversation was that we all are also the experts in our own life. We also have our own intuition to listen to and, and to listen to our inner voice and to hear what our voices are saying and then and bring that to other people to bounce it off of them and to get advice on it and to trust our intuition. And, you know, there's no, not, there's no need for shame. There's no need for embarrassment. We need to realize that this is, we should be open. We should be um, vulnerable with one another. We should be able to, you know, be comfortable to realize that we're not the only ones struggling. It, it seems that everyone today is, has somebody in their life that's struggling to some degree. And if we're just able to come at it from a place of, reali- of reality that it's Hashem who runs the world, this is what Hashem wants from us at this moment. And how can we, along with Hashem, because Hashem's in the driver's seat, we're like going along with the ride and we have to really buckle up and go on the ride and realize that Hashem is driving the car. We are merely just going along for the ride. I and just want to add a final point. Please. Um, because we live in a world that doesn't uh, announce Abishter, Abishter, Abishter. We should really learn, take a friend, learn any sikha from the Rebbe. It doesn't matter if it's about any subject. Every yeah, single sikha has this bottom line. It puts the Abishter back in the picture. 
I think that's really, really the bottom line. We put the Abishter in the picture. We look at it from the Abishter's eyes. It's higher than nature. Hashem could change things in a second. There could be medical innovations. There could be spiritual innovations. There could be a chinuch, like, wow, all of a sudden, uh, uh, you know, a lightning of, of, of a new reality that all of a sudden could be invented and instituted in a second. The Abishter could do whatever he wants. Yeah, and yeah. as soon as we have the Abishter back in the picture, I think, uh, like you said, that's a gulodika feeling. It redeems us from that. Yeah, it frees us absolutely. Well, okay. I want to tell you, thank you so much for your time and for your um, wisdom. I appreciate it, and I'm sure that my listeners and will find this to be interesting and insightful as well. So, thank you, and thank you, Rachel, for the opportunity.